but thank you very much for the privilege of being here. Again, my name is Mike Baker. Uh, just a little bit about me so you'll have some context of you know, who it is that's standing up here talking to you. Um, I was brought to faith in the Lord at the age of 17, um, went to school probably around the age of 23 or so, kind of got a late start in uh, seminary and school. Uh, graduated from Bob Jones University. If you know that name, uh, I don't know whether to duck or whether to, to hug you. It's just one. Of, it's usually one side or the other on that one. So uh, that is my history. Um, I have with me my bride of 40 years. Uh, her name is Tammy, Tammy Baker. We just celebrated 40th anniversary together. And so uh, she is here with us today. Uh, I am also the proud father. We are the proud parents of two wonderful children. They both live out in West Texas. Uh, one is just about to be 37. Uh, the other one just turned 32. I don't know how that happened, but it did. And they also, we are the proud grandparents of six wonderful grandchildren, all girls. And uh, yes, yes, that's, that's what I was hoping for. Uh, <laughs> Yes, they are sweet, they are loving, they call me Pops, and as long as they run after me with those bouncing curls and jump in my lap, I'm, I, am, I am happy. Uh, it's happy to have them with me. I do have one unique feature uh, that is, uh, I, uh, I don't know if it's a badge of honor or what, but I'm the only male on our block who can name on sight every Disney princess just by looking at that picture. Uh, I know who that is. And um, my other guy friends look at me a little weird, but uh, if you have six grandchildren that are all girls, you'll know that true. That's true. Anyway, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for allowing me to be here to speak to you. Uh, I am one of three elders at Reformed Baptist Church of Fort Worth. Uh, Dr. Hamp Linehan is another pastor there. Uh, pastor Michael Carpenter is one other elder, and then, of course, myself. And uh, the three of us there share the various responsibilities of leading that assembly, and we are glad for the invitation to come and be a help and a ministry. I trust that we will be useful to the body of Christ today. I invite you to take your copy of the Word of God, please, and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And we are going to read the text together. I am reading from the ESV translation, actually the second edition of the ESV translation, and I trust you'll be able to follow along as I read Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to pick up our reading with verse 32, and we're going to read down to verse 39. Hebrews 10, verses 32 through 39. If you would, please, just follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. The writer to the Hebrews writes these words in verse 32, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. 
But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's bow in prayer, please, if you would. Our Father and our God, we pray, please, for the ministry of your spirit at this time. We have come to the exposition of your word. We have come to this, pro- this public proclamation of the sacred text, these very words of God. We are hearing from our Heavenly Father now. And so we pray that you might give us that illumination necessary for understanding. Open our eyes and unveil your truth. And may the Spirit of God be our very real and present and felt teacher. And may we dare not trust in our own understanding, but may we stand solely on the Word of God and the teaching of the Spirit of God in it. We commit ourselves to you. Teach us to see you in it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Coming to these words, as you can imagine, various commentators will have various topics. They'll have various titles for these. Some of these names you may know, some you may not. But F.F. Bruce calls this section a call to perseverance. As you can read the text, you can see how that would be very fitting. A call to perseverance. Uh, B.F. Westcott, a name some of you may know, he calls this encouragements from past experience. Encouragements from past experience. And then another individual by the name of Edgar Andrews, a name some of you may know, he says this is, the title of this is A Need to Endure. A need to endure. And what I have done is I have given this a typical Puritan title, which is rather lengthy, that combines just about all of those in case I miss something. So you have this rather lengthy title to this lesson. If you're taking notes, you're going to get a cramp. So it says, a charge to persevere by gaining encouragement through recalling the endurance of past trials. You get all that? So this is a charge to persevere. But there's a certain encouragement that is given on how to persevere and what's necessary to persevere. He says, this is a, or I'm calling it, a charge to persevere, and here's how you do it. By gaining encouragement through recalling the endurance of past trials. So that's what we have here today. Uh, The verses leading up to this passage constitute a very serious warning. We're not going to do it, but if you were to go back and read Hebrews 10, verses 26 through 31, you would read some very solemn and severe warnings against falling away and against casting away their faith. In fact, some of you may already understand the whole book of Hebrews is about that, isn't it? It's about those who had come to faith, but through various trials, tribulations, persecutions of whatnot, they were going to back away from it all. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, don't do that. Don't go back to those images. Don't go back to those shadows. Don't go back to those types when you have in your possession the reality who is Jesus, the fulfillment of all that Old Testament system. In Hebrews 10 and verse 29 in casting away all of these things, the warning is that he warns them against casting away their profession by trampling underfoot the Son of God, by profaning his precious blood, and bringing outrage to the Holy Spirit. And following this warning is our text, verses 32 through 39, which constitute words of encouragement. Don't cast this away. Don't throw it away. Stay firm. Be steadfast. And we'll, we'll look into that a little bit deeper. 
This is a pattern that the writer to the Hebrews has done before. Again, we're not going to turn there, but if you were to turn back to Hebrews 6 and look at verses 4 through 8, you'd see the same thing. There would be solemn warning given there. Uh, words that are very controversial. People try to tr- understand this and interpret these words, and they come across, they come on various sides of just how to understand those warnings, but they are severe and solemn warnings nonetheless, but they are followed by words of encouragement in Hebrews 6, verses 9 through 12. So this isn't the only time he has done this. This is something of, of a pattern. We're going to cover this lesson under the three headings. Of course, what else? Uh, we're going to cover this under three headings, and they're very simple. First of all, that we're going to see a call. This is a call to remember the endurance of past trials. That's verses 32 through 34. The second thing we're going to see is a charge. And it's a charge to remain faithful through present trials. That's verse 35. And then thirdly, we're going to see a challenge. And it's a challenge to receive the promises that are granted after any trial that you may receive. Verses 36 through 39. I find this always relevant in our church uh, to to preach a message regarding the perseverance of the saints and the steadfast walk that we have before him. There's something that I've reminded our people of repeatedly in preaching, and I've always told them that you're in one of three places. I I don't care who you are, where you are, what church you're in. You're in one of three places. Number one, you are right in the middle of some kind of difficulty, a hardship, a struggle, a trial of some kind. You're in, you're right in the middle of that. Or, number two, you've just gotten out of it. You have just gotten off the boat. You're on the other side of Galilee now, and the storm is over. You've gone through the trial, and now you're on the other side of the sea, and you have that trial is over. Or, number three, you're about to enter the next trial. You're in one of those three places. And so this is very relevant because... Whether you're in a trial now or whether you've just gotten through one or you know you're, one will be coming down the road soon. There it is. It'll be one of those. So let's look and see what it says. The first of these is, number one, it's a call to remember the endurance of past trials, verses 32 through 34. And in order to encourage his readers to remain patient and persevere, the writer reminds them of how they have endured trials and persecution in the past. And again, this is, this is just one of a number of ways that the Bible encourages us to stay on the path and not to veer off to the left or to the right. The Bible uses various encouragements for this, doesn't it? Sometimes the Bible promises eternal reward for overcomers. You come to the book of Revelation and look at chapters 2 and 3, and repeatedly there are promises to those who overcome. That's an encouragement to overcome. Uh, there's another one. Sometimes it's a threatening of eternal damnation. And so you do not want to sin, you do not want to back away because you are afraid of that eternal damnation. I'll never forget one time listening to Pastor Al Martin. Some of you know that name uh, from uh, Reformed Baptist Circles. And I will never forget him preaching. One time I heard him preach and he said, I can't remember the sin he was talking about, but he said, here's, here's why I don't do this because I am afraid I don't want to die and go to hell. And so that is a very real motivation to stay faithful. So the Bible uses various forms of encouragement to get us to remain steadfast and to be patient in doing the Lord's will and continuing on that path and not veering off to the left or to the right. In the case before us, the writer to the Hebrews is encouraging his readers to remain patient and to persevere by calling them to recall how they have endured trials in the past. 
And that's another very real encouragement, isn't it? Because as we face whatever is before us, we think, time's in the past. How did I handle this in the past? Watch how God worked in the past, the various things that he has done. And we see that as well. Verse 32 gives us the declaration of those past trials. It describes it to them. He says in verse 32, he says, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Those words are meant to strengthen them in their resolve to remain steadfast. These words are intended to inspire them to remain patient. In other words, what he is saying is, remember how you victoriously fought in the past. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Um, Some commentators believe that this expression, former days, if you see there in verse 36, uh, in verse 32, in former days, it's not referring just to a, a general time of difficulties and hardships that we all face. Some of them believe that this is a specific time. If it is a specific time, it'd be hard to pin that down. But if you look at chapter 12 and verse 4, you have some kind of a hint regarding this difficulty that they faced. In Hebrews 12 and verse 4, it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So it would appear that this kind of situation in which they are being reminded of was not a time when they were martyrs, it's not a time when they died, so that would rule out something of a, of, of a persecution of Nero, probably not referring to that. Um, it probably would rule out the persecution of the church in Jerusalem because many of them died. Uh, many of them were martyred in that time. So what is this referring to? Well, let me make a suggestion. It's not dead set on this, but let's make a suggestion that this might be a, a likely reference to the Roman Christians who were expelled from Rome under Claudius about uh, the middle of the first century, around A.D. 49 or so. Um, in A.D. 40, A.D. 41, someplace in there, the historians are a little vague on this, there were some laws passed, there were some restrictions imposed that didn't quite settle the riots that took place among the Jews over an individual by the name of Christus who had come along. Uh, I think we can imagine who that might be. And so they would have riots. And so these individuals were then expelled. And if you, you don't need to turn, but in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, you have the history of this. In Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, it says, But after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy, Rome probably, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And, of course, he was with them. He was a, tax, uh, he was a tent maker along with, with them and was trading, plied his trade along with them there. Of course, they left the city. And what would happen to your home if you left the city? Your home would be looted. You'd be robbed. You'd be cheated. You'd be maligned. Uh, you'd be maliciously accused. And that's what happened. Let me read to you. Uh, some of you are familiar with the, with the philosopher Philo. And he wrote a history of some of the persecutions of the Jews in his day. This isn't a persecution, a description of the persecution that took place at this time, but this is a description of a persecution that was probably very similar, and you would see the same things happening. He says this about those Jews that were in Alexandria. He says, Their enemies overran their houses, 
which were now left empty, and began to loot them, and dividing up the contents like spoils of war. And so they lost all their possessions, they lost all their things because they had to leave uh, Alexandria and they were persecuted. The same thing probably happened to these under Claudius in Rome. And so the writer to the Hebrews is calling them to remember. Remember back after you were enlightened. And I think we all understand what that is a reference to. That's the, the, the reference to their conversion. When the Holy Spirit moved on them, effectually called them out of their blinded situation, opened up their eyes and unstopped their deaf ears and exchanged their dead stony hearts for living hearts of flesh when they were illuminated, when they were enlightened, they experienced persecution. And this may be one of those situations. That's what's going on here. And he's saying, remember that. Call to remembrance that time when you suffered hardship and how you fought through that in those days you were enlightened. And he's bringing that all back, that struggle. In fact, if you look at there in verse uh, 32, that word struggle, the Greek word, that's a word from which we get our English word athlete or athletics. It has to deal with a struggle, a fight. In fact, if you're looking at a King James version of the Bible, it will have the word a, a great fight. That's what's going on. That's what they did. That's what they did. It's a reference to a, comp- a competition in the public games. And they had this in the past. They had a struggle, and they fought through these difficulties and trials and their hardships. And folks, there's, there's nothing like that. There is nothing like remembering past victories. Past victories of yourself, or even in your reading of biographies, how many of you have been inspired to faithfully stand your ground or to faithfully walk forward in the Lord because you have read the testimonies of others who have done so? And you have been moved, you've been inspired, you've been encouraged in that direction. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is telling them. Recall, bring to remembrance these things that happened and the victory that you won. Let me read John Calvin's commentary on this. This is what he says, quote, The remembrance, then, of past warfare, if it had been carried out faithfully and diligently under the banner of Christ, is at length useful to us, not as a pretext for sloth, as though we had already served our time, but to render us more active in finishing the remaining part of our course, in other words, he's saying, don't remember the victories of the past just so that you can now sit on your laurels and do nothing and just say, well, I was victorious in the past. I've done my job. I'm going to stop. Far from it. Calvin says, no, this should be a spur to move us on in our remainder, in our part of our course. Continuing his quote, he says this again, for Christ has not enlisted us on this condition that we should, after a few years, ask for a discharge like soldiers who have served their time. But Christ has enlisted us on this condition that we should pursue our warfare even to the end. There is no stopping. There is no retiring. We move on. So that's this declaration of this call in verse 32. Following that, you find a description of those trials. I gave you some bit of a hint of what it possibly looked like. If you'll look here at verses 33 and 34, you have not only this declaration of this trial, but you have a description of what it looked like. 
In verse 33 it says, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners of those so treated. In verse 34, which we'll get to in a moment, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. I'll share this with you just in, just in passing. I'm not going to explain this much. But in verse 34, I don't know which version of, your, of the English Bible you're looking at, but in verse 34, in my version it reads, and for you had compassion on those in prison. There's a possibility, there's a little bit of a transcript, uh, 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 a, a contextual issue here regarding the transmission of the scripture that it's possible that this says for you had compassion on me in prison uh, possibly referring to Paul and if, if this is the case it might be a good ground to stand on that Paul is the writer of the book of Hebrews we don't know that but in either case, and I'll leave it to you and your, your struggle over the word to, to find out of these textual variants uh, to find out exactly what's going on here. But for our purpose, it's still a description of these individuals and what they did in their times of struggle, how they handled it, what they did in it. And so going back to verse 33, it says, sometimes being publicly exposed. Okay, Again, King James translates that as made a gazing stock. Uh, the, we get an English word from this word in the Greek. It's the word theater. Uh, if the noun form is theatronon, theatronon, I'm sorry, and then theatrazo, if, uh, if you're looking at it in the verb form. It's, it just means a theater. It's an arena. That's what it means. Um, this is an, I, this, the idea here is it has reference to something that is brought to the arena for public display. And he is telling them, he said, now you remember, recall, back when you were going through these difficult times, here's what it looked like. Sometimes you were put on display publicly as a gazing stock. Uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this is really the favored strategy of our enemy, isn't it? Public humiliation, public defaming. We see this in our day, don't we? We see this anytime there's any kind of a public forum possible, those who name the name of Christ are brought forward to the public and they are maliciously accused, they are maligned, and this is what happened with these dear people, these dear Jews, these who had come to faith in Christ, these Hebrews. They were maliciously maligned. They were open to derision. Uh, They suffered the loss of their reputation, their character, and their name. They were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. They were made to stand in disgrace. Some of them were not the recipients of direct assault, but they aligned themselves with those who were. And so you can finish reading here in verse 33, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners of those so treated. So not only were they themselves publicly maligned and mistreated, but they also stood along others. Even though they themselves may not have been the targets, they stood with others who were and helped them. Um, Look at the next verse. It says, for you had compassion on those 
in prison. This is how they did it. Some of those who were maligned, accused, their character was, was trashed, and they were thrown into prison. And so what did these others who had freedom do? What did they do? They didn't hide. They didn't cower. They didn't go behind a bush. They went to those in prison and helped them. They were a help to them. Prisoners, folks, in prison, and I don't want to make it sound like our prisons today are the Hilton. They're not. I don't want to be imprisoned. But in a prison in the United States, you're still going to get fed, and you're still going to get clothed, and you're going to have a place to sleep. These prisons in this day, if no one brought you food, if they didn't bring you clothes, if they didn't help heal you with some kind of medicine, if they didn't visit you in some way, you would probably die. After a certain amount of time, you'd be diseased, you'd be stricken, and you would die. But these Hebrews, they're being asked to remember this time. Remember when you were maligned, and also sometimes those others who were in prison, you helped them. And they fulfilled Christ's words in Matthew 25, 35, and 36, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. And Arthur Pink, in his commentary, asks his readers to solemnly consider the verses 41 through 45 of Matthew 25. Jesus says to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry. You gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked. You did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Of course, their response is, Lord, when did we see you in this fashion? He said, you didn't do it to the least of my brethren. You didn't do it to the least of me. Depart from me to everlasting torment. I think those are solemn words to remember as we consider any time of trial where we may not be personally assaulted or attacked or made a public display, a gazing stock, but there may be others, and we can come alongside and be an encouragement and to be a help and to be a ministry and to help those individuals. Please notice the spirit in which they did all of this. I mean, think, they, were, were they carping? Were they crowing? Were they... Were they complaining about all of this. Oh, I have to go through this. I have to do this. Oh, I have to go down and help this guy. Look at, look at verse 34 again. You had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They joyfully accepted this. Think of that. Just let that sink in. Think about that. They joyfully accepted this. Now, they didn't walk around with some kind of an inane grin and just hopping up and down, oh, I thank the Lord that I can be suffering for Jesus. This this, 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 this is ludicrous. But deep within them was a well springing up of joy that God counted them worthy to receive this kind of treatment from the world. 
This is what the disciples did, didn't they? They they counted it joy that God would look at them and count them worthy to suffer like this. In fact, you're going to read later on in Hebrews 11 at the end that there were some who suffered like this, and it says the world was not worthy of them. But these individuals were found worthy to suffer. I want you to look at a couple of passages. I've asked you to stay here in Hebrews and not move around too much. Hold your finger there in Hebrews 10. And I want you to look at a couple of other passages in this regard on joy because I want your eyeballs to see it. Look at Luke 6, please. Luke chapter 6. And again, we're just going to look at a couple of passages. We could look at 100, but just a couple this morning or this afternoon to look at this and see exactly what's going on with this joy that's being described here. Luke 6, 22 and 23, you find these words. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Verse 23, you want to highlight this, folks. If not literally in your Bibles, at least in your minds, this needs to be bold and underlined. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. In other words, you're in good company. If they revile you for the name of Christ, now we don't want to be reviled and have it be a real serious charge of which we are guilty. We want to be reviled because of our stand for Christ and our purity of life. And when that happens, we can rejoice. Another passage, Romans 5. Again, we're just looking at a couple of passages regarding this attitude of joy in the midst of difficulties and struggles. Romans 5, in the first five verses, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, Again, here's what you want to highlight. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And it doesn't matter what kind it is. It can be anything. It can be a a persecution or just a difficult situation, a hardship of some kind, something we just can't grasp, something something we just don't understand, where, where we are doing exactly as God wants us to do. We are following his will. He's given us a command. He has given us a command, get in this boat and go to the other side. And we're following our Lord's direction. As best we know in obedience, we get in the boat and we're on our way and what happens? We meet with the storms and the waves and we're about to be overrun with water and we're about to sink and we we are frustrated, we are despondent, but we're right in the middle of doing what God told us to do. And I don't know if I'm just telling on myself or maybe you felt this way at times. And I I think that because we're all made out of the same clay, we have these same feelings. And I'll never, on occasion, and I confess to you, I just, I look up and Lord, why? This is, I'm doing exactly what you've asked me to do. And now we've hit a brick wall. But we can rejoice. We can rejoice. Knowing that suffering does something, verse 3 in Romans 5, what what does suffering do? It produces endurance. And what are we talking about in Hebrews 10, verses 32 through 39? That need to endure and to stay on the path. Stay in the boat, 
wait for the Lord, and he will surely come and deliver. A pastor friend of mine was preaching on that very situation where Christ is walking on the water, and he made this statement, and I will never forget it. He said, many times, the Lord takes the waves of our despair, and he makes them the wings of his approach. And so right there in the middle, we're so quick to get out. Lord, I want to get out of this. But it's that very storm where Christ makes his precious presence known to his disciples. So don't be so quick. Don't be so quick. So according to this text, what caused them to have such joy? Well, turn back to Hebrews 10, verse 34. I asked you to kind of keep your finger there. Going back to Hebrews 10, now we're in verse 34. He says, for you had compassion on those in prison and you, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. How attached we get to the things of this world. This this. You know, if, if I just had this, my wife and I, we have this ongoing joke about, uh, if I just had this, then I'd be happy. And we joke about that because that's, that's a reality in the hearts of many people. You know, I just, if I had this, then I'd be great, right? I mean, look at the advertisements that you receive. There are people out there paid very well to make you dissatisfied with what you have. That your car just isn't quite good enough. Oh, well, if you had this car, now you're, now you're going to be good. Uh, your clothes just aren't good enough. That cologne you're wearing, pfft. oh, you need this. That makeup, are you kidding me? Who wears that? You need this. And not only will it be better for you biologically or helpful, it will make you a better person. All right? Only good dads do this. Only good moms do this. And these people are well-paid, very good salaries to make you unhappy and be discontented with what you have. Not these Hebrew writers. These Hebrew readers, <laughs> no, no. They were joyful. They joyfully accepted that all that stuff is gone because they knew they had a better possession and an abiding one. And we all know what that's all about because we are now in Hebrews 10, but we're about to read Hebrews 11. And we're going to read in Hebrews 11 how all these people we have this host of individuals who turn their eyes away from the afflictions and affections of this world and had their eyes as Abraham on a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God, that eternal home. B.F. Westcott says this, speaking about these readers to this letter, the letter to the Hebrews, they read it and they said they were feeling in this way, they were stripped of their goods And these Christians learned better than before that their true self remained unchangeable. So even though they lost their worldly goods, their true selves, unchangeable, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. They patiently and joyfully endured the trials of the past. So the first thing we see in these verses, verses 32 through 34, uh, is a call to remember the endurance of past trials. And that's what we've looked at so far. Secondly, here's what we see in verse 35. It's a charge to remain faithful through present trials. Here's your charge. Here's the center of it all. Therefore, 
Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't throw it away. Don't throw this away. Albert Barnes in his commentary says this, quote, they were not to cast away their confident trust in God and to become timid, disheartened, and discouraged. They were to bear up manfully under all their trials and to maintain a steadfast adherence to God and to his cause. In other words, the writer is saying, you demonstrated great courage and boldness in those days in the past. Remember, he says, remember how you were, you were bold in the past. You maintained, you were steadfast. Now he's saying in verse, 33, in verse 35, don't give up now. Don't throw it away. Um, this word for confidence has already been used in this book three times. Let me give you those if you, if you want to look at it. You're there in Hebrews 10. Go back to Hebrews 4 and verse 16. And we're looking at, in my version, it's the word confidence. You may have the word boldness. But in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, you have the same thing. Let us then with confidence or with boldness draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's our word again. It has reference to prayer. Verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 19. Chapter 10 and verse 19, you'll find it again. The writer to the Hebrews writes these words. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence or boldness to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Again, boldness to enter into God's presence. But I want you to see one other time, and that's back in chapter 3 of Hebrews. And I think that back in chapter 3 of Hebrews, the use of the word confidence or boldness there, I think, fits better what we're looking at here in Hebrews 10.35. Hebrews 3 and verse 6, it says, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Here it refers to steadfastness in adverse and disheartening circumstances. When you just can't figure it out, there it is. You remain faithful. You don't give up. I don't have time for a quick anecdote. When I was a little boy, I was in the Boy Scouts. And we had what they called a stalking exercise where two or three of the fellows who were a little bit more advanced in the, in the, in the scouts would go ahead and they would make little markings in the trails and we were, supposed to, we were about a mile behind them and then we had to follow them. Okay? And so we'd go along the trail. This was up in, this was in, um, in the Maryland area. So we were, we were actually up on the Appalachian Trail, which is kind of nice, up on the Appalachian Trail. And so uh, we'd go along, and all of a sudden there'd be this unnaturally broken branch, right? It's not going to be broken, but there it was. So we knew that that's where they were, and so we followed, and we followed. And then we were in the middle of the road somewhere, and we said, oh, man, what are we going to look for? And there was a stack of rocks. Well, we knew those stack of rocks had to be put there by somebody, and so we're still on the right trail, so we're following. We follow, we follow. Hours, I mean hours. And for little kids, I that was in like the fifth or sixth grade, that's a long time. Miles we went by, probably five, six miles. And we thought, you know, I haven't seen a spot in a while. I haven't seen a stack of rocks. I haven't seen anything broken. I haven't seen a piece of cloth stuck in a branch. What are we going to do? One person said, well, let's just break off. You go this way and we'll go this way. And we were, thankfully, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. But we did something almost as bad. We decided, you know what? We're going back. Forget it. We're going back. And so 
Believe it or not, we walked that entire five or six miles back to camp, and we were only, I think if we had gone another quarter mile, we'd have been there to where the, the end of the thing was. But we threw it away. We just threw it away. And boy, did we get in trouble. I don't want you, to, I won't tell you what our scoutmaster did, but he was angry with us for doing that. And that's a simple little anecdote, simple little story. But that's what's going on here. These folks had gone through so much. They had gone through, they had gone after mile after mile after mile. And he's telling them in verse 35, don't throw it away. Don't cast it away. Remain faithful. Don't give up. And so that's the charge that he has here to remain patient through their present trials. Then lastly, this afternoon, thirdly, verses 36 to 39, we see this. Not only a call to remember those past trials and a charge to remain faithful and not cast it away, but finally, verse 3, here's a challenge. And the challenge is this. It's a challenge to receive the promise that's given after any trial that we may face. Look at verses 36 to 39. We'll unpack those in a few moments we have together. Verses 36 to 39. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. See that? Now what's promised? Verses 37, 38. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. First part of verse 36, you see the reason that they're not to throw away their confidence. You have need of endurance. They need this. We all need this. We all need this. We have need of patience. Because it produces something in us. When we go through trials and confidence in God, there is a moral effect. Trials reveal things in us. Let me, let me say this. and This is in my notes, and I sometimes get in trouble when I do this, but I'll try not to wander too far. Tests are not primarily intended to teach us something. Some of you, I'm looking at children who take tests. You're in school, you're at home, you take tests at home, you take tests uh, for a, a class. Some of you adults know all about this, taking a test. It's not, now it does teach us, that it teaches us what we need to learn, <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not primarily there to test, to see what we, to test us, to see uh, what we know. Uh, it's there to see what we are. It's, it's not to teach us, but to find out what's there already. That's what the testing does. And so this is what's going on. When we are tested, it produces things in us. And one of those things it produces is endurance. Um, hold your finger there in Hebrews 10 and turn to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. In speaking about faith producing endurance and all of this, I'm sure this was a passage that came to some of your minds. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's, that's a, that is an easy line to read. That is a tough line to live. To count it all joy when we meet various trials. Verse four, 3, 4, you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so this is one passage that describes exactly what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. Remember those trials you had? Call to remembrance how you were victorious. Don't throw it away because you have need of endurance and you'll receive the promise when it's all finished. Um, one more passage in this regard. Um, I'm going to have you turn to... I have a couple, but our time is slipping. Let's go to Acts chapter 14. Would you please? Acts 14. And in this passage, Paul has just been stoned in Lystra. Okay? He has just been stoned, and they left him for dead. Some people say he actually died and rose from the dead. I don't know. I don't, it's not my position. But he, they left him for dead. Verse, four, verse 21 of Acts 14. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. What is God using? He's using tribulations. How many? I don't know. It, it says many, through many tribulations. Lord, I've just been through so many now, through many tribulations. But we have a promise that's coming. Um, and he's using those trials to shape us. Look again at verse 36 of Hebrews 10. Not only do we see the reason, because they need endurance, but back to Hebrews 10, 36, the result of this, the result of they're not throwing this away, Verse 36, for you have need of endurance, so that. Now here's your result. Here's the, here's the point of this. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That's what God desires us to do. He desires us to remain steadfast in doing his will. Whatever that might be, we do his will and we receive that. So when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What is the promise. What's the promise? I'm glad you asked. Look at the next two verses, verses 37 and 38. Here he quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2, yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Would you turn back, to Hebrew, uh, turn back to Habakkuk chapter 2? That's kind of a forgotten little minor prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, if you just go back to, what is it, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. It's hard to do that without singing it. <laughs> uh, taught that to my children. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Some of you will laugh at that. But if you go back to Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first four verses. Some of this should sound familiar. Now, we're reading this from a different, uh, from an English translation. Of course, the writer to the Hebrews wasn't reading English. He's actually probably taking this from the Septuagint translation, which is a Greek translation of that passage in the Old Testament. And you have these words, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. In other words, Habakkuk has, he has complained. Lord, We've gone through all of this. We have all these difficulties. How are you, are, where is it? Are you going to help us or not? All right? It's almost, like the, it's, it's almost like the disciples on the boat. And Jesus is there asleep. And he says, they say, Master, 
You remember it from King James, right? Carest thou not that we perish. Don't you care? You could do something. Raise your arm. Help. That's Habakkuk's complaint. Verse 2. The Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. I love that. I have that, I have that highlighted in my text. If it seems slow, wait for it. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And of course, we all know that line, don't we? The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by his faith. But the writer of, the, writer of Habakkuk, and this language is borrowed by the writer to the Hebrews, so we have in Hebrews an inspired interpretation of this prophecy in Habakkuk. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, we have commentators. I know some of you have libraries, and you have commentators, and you just wish that they were inspired, but they're not. But the writer to the Hebrews, you have an inspired commentary on Habakkuk 2, these first four verses. And he's saying that the Lord is coming. He is coming. The vision, he's, talked to, he's referred to as a vision here in Habakkuk. Christ is coming. The Lord is coming. He is coming. Wait. If it seems slow, wait for it. And so the writer to the Hebrews uses this quotation to spur his readers to do the same thing. If deliverance seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, and it will not delay. Verse 37, for yet a little while. Back to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 37. Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. How do we do that? How do we do that? How is it that we wait? If it's slow, wait for it. If it's delayed, wait for it. How do we do that? We do that by faith. It has to be by faith. There's no other way because we can't see. It has to be by faith. Look at verse 38 of Hebrews 10. Because my righteous one shall live by faith. It's all by faith. Um, Barnes says this, the righteous should live by continued confidence in God. They should pass their lives not in doubt and fear and in trembling apprehension, but in the exercise of a calm trust in God. Trust Him. Don't throw it away. Don't get almost there and then just cast it off. If it's slow, wait for it. If it's delayed, wait for it. The writer to the Hebrews, again, quoting this translation from the Septuagint and saying this. Then you come to that last verse, verse 39. Verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So the writer to the Hebrews says, we're not in that group of people who eventually fall away and are destroyed. We are of that group of people who possess genuine faith and will persevere by that faith. It's not a faith that we have generated either, is it? It's not because I don't hold on by my faith. It's, it's a faith that is produced inside of us, isn't it? It is that fact when God opens up our eyes and, and effectually calls us to himself, he regenerates us. It makes it possible for us to now see. 
It makes it possible for us to hear because we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but he has made us alive. He has made us alive. It wasn't a little bit me, a little bit God. It wasn't that God took a step towards me and now I'm going to take a step towards God. It was because, no, I was completely dead, lying in a grave for four days and I stink. And then he called out my name. He called out your name. And now you're able to get up and respond to that. And he grants to us repentance and faith. And now we can exercise repentance and faith towards Christ Jesus. And he gives us all those wonderful benefits that are part of that process of salvation. But we hold on by the faith that he grants us. And now we come to the end of chapter 10, verse 39. A few more words to be said here. Then you get to... Chapter 11, now here's what faith is. Here's what that is. The just will live by faith, Hebrews 10, 39. And then Hebrews 11, 1, now here's what faith is. And here is a host of people who demonstrated that. And you come to the end of it, and many of these people, some of them were thrown into a lion's den and were saved. Some of them were cast into a burning lake of fire, a a fiery furnace, and were preserved. Some of them were sawn asunder, and they did not survive physically. But they still had eyes of faith towards that city whose builder and maker is God. And the world was not worthy of them. The writer to the Hebrews says at the end of chapter 11. I want to close this morning. We've had lots of applications throughout the lesson. Let me close with this final statement of application. This comes from Arthur Pink. Some of you know that name. He has a rather bold commentary on the book of Hebrews. I highly recommend it. And here's what he says on this regard. And I ask you to, to, it's a lengthy quote, but I'll I'll try to say it in words that will be helpful to us and useful to us as we walk the path God sets for us and not turn aside. Here's what he says. Patient endurance is a fruit of faith. Endurance is a fruit of faith. Strong faith produces endurance, steadfastness. Patience, patient endurance is a fruit of faith. Yet, it is only as faith is in daily exercise that the Christian is enabled to stand firm amid the storms of life. In other words, you say, well, why can't I just, why am I not more steadfast? Why am I not more enduring? Because our faith is lacking. Okay? So we have to exercise that faith. Continuing the quote. Those whom God declares righteous in Christ are to pass their lives here, not in doubt and fear, but in the maintenance of a calm trust in and a joyful obedience to Christ. Only as the heart is engaged with God and feeds upon his word will the soul be invigorated and fitted to press onwards when everything outward seems to be against him. It is by our faith being drawn out unto things above that we receive the needed strength which causes us to look away from the discouraging and distracting scene around us. I know that we face various trials and struggles. I know that we face them 
individually. I'm looking into your faces, and I'm looking into the faces of people who either are in the middle of a trial, or you've just come out of a trial, or you are very closely going to be moving into another trial, individually. I know that as assemblies, we all face trials. I know that this assembly is going to face trials. My, our assembly faces trials. Ask any pastor to stand in this place, and he can give you plenty of testimonies of the corporate difficulties and struggles they go through in the body of Christ. Um, I think today, if we'd be blind if we didn't know that we are not seeing in our society, at least in these uh, surroundings around us in the United States, great trials and difficulties and angst and fightings, bickering. And it could cause us to go into what Christian went into in the Pilgrim's Progress of the Dungeon of Despair. But we hold the key to keep us out of that, and that is God's promises and God's word. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews says. Remember those past trials. Stay firm in the trial you're in, the hardship you may be facing. And don't cast it away, but receive the promise because Christ is coming. And don't cast it away. And have your eyes fixed on him. Thank you for the privilege of ministering to you. May we bow in a short word of prayer, please, and then I'll turn it back over to whoever. Uh, let's pray, please. Our Father and our God, again, we thank you for the privilege of being able to minister to this dear body of Christ. It is our prayer that you would take these stammering words and these, uh, these thoughts that have not been as tightly put together as, as necessary, these slight ramblings, and use them to aid the body of Christ. May they be useful to look unto Jesus as we run the race with patience, which has been set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured all of these sufferings and even the sufferings of the cross. And how could we think that as his disciples and followers, we would be called to do anything less? Grant us, please, your aid as we meditate on these reflections in Christ's word. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.